0: Okay, good morning everybody and welcome on this glorious day, isn't it lovely? So nice. And um, Welcome to Matt and Michelle. You're very welcome to be with us this morning. And obviously to Jill Weber who's going to tell us a little bit more about herself when she starts to talk today. Um, so let's just start with giving this morning to God. Yeah, Father God, we just thank you for this new day we thank you that your mercies are new every morning, God, and we just want to commit this time to you, Father. We just invite you into this time. Please meet us where we're at, God. Help us to put aside things of the morning, God, and just to be open to you and your word. I just pray for Jill as she speaks to you, speaks to us, God, that um, you'll just help her to convey what's been on our heart and, and help us to leave here knowing more than when we arrived, God, and feel closer to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) So I just want to recap slightly um, last month when Charles and I spoke. Um, Charles spoke about um, the creation and the three main things she mentioned was um, the creation from the chaos. And then she spoke about the dawn of man and about the relationship of trust that we have. Um, She um, spoke about we're made to be in relationship because we reflect our creator And the relationship of the Trinity is what we get to partner with. She spoke of the perichoresis, the dance of the Trinity, and that we're invited to be part of that. And then I picked up the story um, about um, the Adam and Eve and then the serpent coming and then the tactics of the enemy in that, distorting our perception of God, um, causing us to objectify God and um, stealing our identity and authority in that. And then they eat of the fruit, and we know that sin enters after that. And then through um, Cain and Abel, that filters down. And then the flood came where God wiped out the earth, just saving one family, Noah and his family. But then after that, again, man tried to become like God through the Tower of Babel. Um, And then God confused their languages and dispersed them. This is where Jill picks up the story. So she's going to speak about the Seeds of Promise and about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Joseph there's quite a lot to get in so <laughs> in an hour and a half <laughs> there you go Joe. Yeah.
1: thanks um it's awkward to be with a microphone and in such a small room but I understand it's for the recording so hello everybody who's not here um I just want to pray is that okay is that okay hmm. Father of creation, we settle into your goodness this morning. You give good gifts. Jesus, we receive with gratitude all that you have done for us. And for your invitation for us to be your friend. And we settle our hearts in that friendship this morning. You alone have words of eternal life. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to teach. Teach. Illumine our hearts. Make your word come alive as we locate ourselves in your story. Amen. So, my name is Jill, and I am from Canada, moved recently to the UK about seven months ago. Um, so I'm here for for a little while, and uh, I, I live in Guilford right now. I attend and uh, serve on the staff of Emmaus Road Church, uh, one of our 24-7 boiler rooms, and also I work with 24-7 prayer, uh, largely helping some of the, the house of prayer communities in, in the movement, across the movement. So basically, I pray and I make friends, and... Uh, so it was good to be here. It was funny, it was disorienting coming here to this house because I think the last time I was here was six years ago before all the renovations. So I recognized it, but I didn't recognize it. <laughs> I'm like, where's the vines? And the front yard looks smaller than I remember it being. And anyway, it, it took me a little while to orient myself, but but it's good to be here. And you guys are the first 24-7 community in the UK that I got a chance to properly meet and hang out with so six years ago myself and a little handful of pilgrims came from canada and um and it was so funny we just totally got pulled into your context because we arrived we put our bags down and they said right we're picking grapes today and stomping them to make wine (laughs) and that's all we did that was our initiation into the life of your community and uh praying and playing and obeying and winemaking and eating together, and yeah, anyway, it was really good, and so it's just a privilege to be back here, and and uh, with, with the, the tiny task of covering 40 chapters <laughs> in the Bible <laughs> over the course of an hour and a half, so just I just, I just want to put your minds at ease right now. I am not going to talk at you for an hour and a half, so the Lord is merciful, and so am I, so... <laughs> So it's not going to happen. We're going to jump in and out of the story, and, and we're actually going to put you, well, you're going to put yourself in little groups of three, to have your or two or three, to have your own conversation about where you find yourself, where you situate yourself in this overarching story that God is writing. So we're just going to go in and out of that. There'll be a little back and forth dance. I'll say a few things, and then you'll say a few things to each other. We had a little bit of overview and what happened in the first few chapters. How many chapters did you get? This isn't fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, <laughs> That's so not fair, right? That's a. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: 10 chapters, 40 chapters. I don't know about that. <laughs> anyway, so, but we, 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 you guys did the Tower of Babel. You did that, right? So you ended on the Tower of Babel. So people were like, we can be gods. We can do it ourselves. I can do it all by myself. Anybody ever felt that way? I can do it all by myself. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just build our own tower. We can be like God. And God was like, yeah, I don't think so. You know. And, and so we know that he scattered them. He messed up their language. You see this people whose pride had become their fall, and they're scattered and uh, in disarray. And then God steps into the story. And the next, the next bit, the Genesis 11, you get genealogies how exciting this person begat this person begat this person begat this person like not the most interesting chapter but what's important to understand is in, in Hebraic culture it's actually very similar to indigenous culture back in Canada you get your sense of who you are by who's your who are your people where are you from who are your people so normally in western culture we get our identity from what what's the what's the first question you know or the it, within the sorry what do you do, right? And so that's our that's our cultural question in Western or in North American culture and probably British culture as well. But in other cultures, the question is not what do you do. The question is whose are you? Who are your people? And, and they sort of define themselves by their community. So I want you to take three minutes, get with two other people, and I want you to, to tell about yourself not by where you're, Where you're from and what you do, but but who are your people? What are the relationships around you that define who you are? All right? One, two, three, go. So, get in your groups. So this is a quick one, you get about 30 seconds to tell your friends who are your people. should be on your last person in your group by now alright you should wind it up All right, next chapter, chapter 12, we see Abraham, he's 75 years old, anybody in your community 75 years old? Yeah, it's just getting good, you're just at the beginning. <laughs> come <on>. yeah, come. <laughs> hmm. We just got a couple people coming here, we'll let them come on in. Right, So we see Abraham in the beginning of this, his epic journey, his, his epic story. But we see um, sort of a classic God move. So you got Abraham, 75, he's already had a pretty good life, you know. You think about where would I like to be at 75, what would I like to have done, you know, how would I like to be situated, and, and um, he's just kind of going through his life, minding his own business, and he gets Interrupted. He gets interrupted. And and the thing that I love about the God story, starting probably even before Abraham and and reaching forward through history as it touches our story, is that God reserves the right to interrupt your life and to change its direction anytime he wants. Isn't that exciting? You're like, I don't know if I feel excited about that. (laughs) God reserves the right to interrupt your life, change its direction anytime he wants. The Lord said to Abram and this time he wasn't called Abraham, he was called Abram, go from your country, go from your people, remember, his people, those are his people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. So he gets interrupted, and he gets invited. He gets gets called out of his own little life story, his own autobiography, and he gets invited to join into the larger story, that God is creating that God is bringing forth that he's writing um, that's going to span forward several millennia he's calling him out of his story into a plot and into a drama that would change the destiny of nations and I always think about like okay so Abram was was possibly the first monotheist <laughs> I don't know like he was he was so early on we we had Cain and Abel and and all of that but you got to remember there's this culture, he's surrounded in this culture of all these pagan gods, all of these different religions, and he hears the voice of a one God calling him to leave everything behind and to go on a journey. I wonder about, and I think about, what was the sound of his voice like? What was the sound of God's voice like? What was so compelling? What was so invitational about that voice that it would cause Abraham to pack it and to leave everything, everything that he knew, his people, his place, to follow. I, I'm a, a writer. I just finished writing um, a memoir, actually, and just my own spiritual journey. And, and when I was doing some training on how to do that, they said uh, to us, if you want to take people on a spiritual journey, they will go with you unfamiliar places. They'll go with you unexplored places if they like the sound of your voice it just makes me wonder, what, how did, what, did, what was it about God's voice? What was it about the Father's voice that Abraham liked, that Abram liked, that he would just get up and leave? And in that moment when he says, okay, I like the sound of this voice, not what I expected at age 75. <laughs> uh, father of nations, not so sure, but I'm liking the sound of your voice, and so I'm going to say yes, saying yes. God says to Abram here, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I think there's a couple of things that are really beautiful in that invitation. It's a winsome invitation from the Father. And, And my experience of God has been through my whole life, actually, is, is divine inf- interruption <laughs> and winsome invitation. This is part of God's invitation. He says, I, I actually want to make you a great nation. I want to I make your life fruitful. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm giving you legacy. You're going to become a great nation and a great people, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. So I've blessed you to be a blessing. So part of the winsomeness of God's invitation to Abraham." is legacy, and is the promise of blessing. I'm going to bless you so that you can bless others. I'm calling you to be a people set apart from me and a people that will be characterized by blessing. Abraham, I'm actually calling you to be a child of light in a dark generation. And we see foreshadowing, looking ahead to the gospel. And so much of this story just echoes forward into the future and what Jesus invites us into and what he promises for us. I'll bless you to be a blessing. And um, so I'm going to get you back in your groups again, right? So in your groups of three, I want you to reflect with each other. You'll get five minutes for this. Did you ever have a moment where God interrupted your life, your own personal little autobiography, your own personal little plans that you thought you had for your life and invited you into a larger story? Is that all right? So think about that for a second. Actually, let's have just like... 10 seconds of quiet while well, you think about that. God interrupted your life and invited you into a larger story. So get into your groups of three now, and you have five minutes to consider that together interruption and invitation. If you're super shy and hate talking in a group, just say, I'm just gonna listen, thank you very much. It's like all the introverts, you know, wanna run to the yard, (laughs) so. Somebody else in your group should be speaking by now. Third person in your group should be talking by now. Alright, let's wind that up. So we see um, in Genesis 12, we got Abraham now, or Abram still, he's called. He's been he's been interrupted. He's been invited on a journey. He's been given a promise. You're gonna be the father of nations. All the nations through you are gonna be blessed. It's part of the larger promise. The challenge, he has a challenge. He's got two challenges. Number one, his wife, Sarah, is barren, right? They're getting pretty old there. (laughs) You know, he's 75, and she's, I can't remember how old she was at the time, but probably past normal childbearing age, you know, and um, so, uh, you know, there's the, the promise, and then there's the conundrum, so just, I guess my question to you guys is, and you don't have to do this in your group, you can think just for a moment, has God ever promised you something that seemed completely illogical and completely unlikely? And you're like, I don't see how that's going to happen. Has that ever happened to anybody? No, he's only ever asked you to do logical things that are completely within your own capacity. So Abraham's invited into something that's beyond his natural capacity, isn't he? And so I love that, that, that he's, he's been invited into this thing that he can't actually do himself. And the second thing I love about the story is that, you know, when we look through the, the rearview mirror at Abraham, or Abram, he's seen sort of as a father of faith. But I actually love, you know, I, find, I find a lot of comfort in his story that he doesn't get it right all the time. You know, he doesn't work it out perfectly. Again, he, he's moving into an understanding of this monotheistic God, a God who speaks that we can understand and hear and follow, you know, within a culture that was full of all these pagan gods and all these voices. And, and sometimes he does okay. You know, he goes to this spot in the wilderness, and he builds an altar to the Lord there, and he goes here, and he builds an altar to the Lord. And, you know, then, then things comes into a bit of a lean time, and, uh, and decides, well, we better go to Egypt because there's food in Egypt, and we don't have food here. And so he goes to Egypt, and he has one of his less stellar moments because they're going in Egypt. And his wife, Sarah, evidently was, was a pretty good-looking woman at 70-some-odd, you know. And, uh, and so going into Egypt, he's like, oh, I don't know if there's going to be a problem here. So why don't we just say that you're my sister rather than my wife? I'm like if I was Sarah, I'd be like, "What the heck? <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you want me to what? You want to say that i want, you know?" And and so, he's he's a little fearful, he's self protective, and he's deceptive. And I find I find great relief in that. I'm like, "Oh, okay. I can I can receive the invitation of the Lord, and I can try and fumble my way forward and follow and 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 kind of worship Him along the way, like Abram set up these altars of worship before the Lord, and." probably I'm going to mess up along the way because Abram did right he, he called Sarah his wife Pharaoh was like oh she's pretty hot so I'm just going to bring her into my palace <laughs> amongst all my wives and uh, and then found out later of course that it that it, that she was already married which created a problem and and so I think for me that just comforts me and I think as we look through the different characters in this drama that we're going to look at over the next hour none of them are perfect. None of them are perfect. They're all, they're all deeply flawed men and women. Even Sarah. When Sarah gets the promise, you know, they, they have this, this moment when three visitors come to visit Abram, and, and uh, they're like, oh, yeah, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, you know, she just laughs, you know, just because she just can't even wrap her brain and her heart around that. She didn't have a very faith-filled response. And then she tried to cover it up afterwards. It's like, no, I didn't laugh. <laughs> You know, and, and I just, I find that really comforting. Does anybody find that comforting? That they're, they're normal human people full of faults and foibles. And somehow, when we look at them through the rearview mirror, they're held up as models of the faith. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can get it wrong because there's grace and, and God moves me forward. Um, yeah, and I, and I think part of Abraham's journey, he didn't get it perfect. He, sometimes he just takes things in his own hands. Um, but essentially, as the story unfolds throughout Genesis, we see that, that Abraham's got this progressive sense of a deepening trust and faith in the voice of God. When we when looking at it, the writer of Hebrews is looking at Abraham through the rearview mirror, and he says this, By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. And when he'd left and had no idea where he was going, but by an act of faith, he lived in the country promised him. He lived as a stranger camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did the same, living under the same promise. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God. Abraham is contending for the promise that somehow my life is going to be a blessing to the nations. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm believing I'm going to look at you, God, with eyes of faith. I'm going to believe that you're building something unseen that I haven't walked into yet. And that's attributed to him as faith. So um, I think the other part of this part of the story that, that I find a lot of comfort in and is very counter-cultural for us. When we, we hit this part in the story, this is 10 years from the moment of interruption and divine invitation. He's still wandering in the wilderness 10 years later. So, in our culture, <laughs> if God promises something and it doesn't happen next week, how do we feel? Anybody? <laughs> I must have heard it wrong, right? Yeah, totally. So how else? So God promises you something. Two weeks down the road, it hasn't happened. Maybe six months down the road, it hasn't happened, right? How many of you had promises given to you five, three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, and you haven't seen the fulfillment yet? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, right? Anybody else? There's promises that you have not longer. Yeah. <laughs> so it gets we get so dis- it's so easy to get discouraged right have i messed up did i hear wrong right and god's timing you know god is not mcdonald's he's not he's not a fast food restaurant you can't drive up to god speak to god in the window and say well i'd like healing and deliverance and and then a little voice coming out saying oh would you like family salvation with that you know that's just not how it works <laughs> god is not the fast food drive through is he you know, he promises, he invites us on to a journey, but his timing is in his own hands, not our own hands. And in the midst of that, we get to struggle as we're waiting and waiting and waiting. It's when we really start to wrestle it out with God. And, and we see this a point in the, a little further on in the story, Genesis 15. God is meeting with Abraham again. And, and in this moment of waiting and it kind of the promise being delayed and getting over his mess up with his wife and the Pharaoh <laughs> and all of that, still no baby, still no fruitfulness, still no father of the nation, Abraham is this really honest, personal interaction with God, an intimate but hard fought and honest encounter. This is um, in the passage After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision Fear not, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. As soon as I read that, my brain went to the psalmist who said, um, the Lord is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I feel like what happens for Abraham in the waiting, you know, when, when, when God brings us a promise, when he invites us on a journey, we can get really focused on the outcome, right? We want, I want to see the promise fulfilled, right? I want to, I want to arrive at the destination but i feel like the invitation to abram in this moment is actually abram i'm your destination actually abram i'm i am your reward i am your portion and so sometimes when we're in the process and sometimes when we're in the waiting maybe that invitation from the lord to us is can we look to him and receive him as our reward? I struggle with, um, I'm sort of a type A personality. I like to make lists. I like to get things done. I like to just go, you know, I like to, to do all of that. And, and I, I, my journey with the Lord over the last, I won't tell you how many decades, of being a follower of Jesus is having a lot of that what I call sinful task orientation Stripped away. Now I still get stuff done, and I still make lists. But I'm learning, actually, that I'm on a journey. And I'm learning that it's being on the journey that I get to travel with him. And I get to enjoy his company, and I get to enjoy his leadership. And on the journey, I become, on the journey is the way to become everything that he has Promised me. So we're so focused in Western culture on the destination, right? Want to get there? I want to get there now. But I think what the story of Abram has to say to us is about process, is about journey, it's about Jesus, about the God is our ultimate destination and our ultimate reward. So God says to Abram, I'm your shield. And Abram so great, he's like, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless? Great that you're my shield, God, but I still want a baby, (laughs) right? So he's honest. He's honest. And I love that, you guys. How many of us, I had a lot of really honest prayers on the way here. I've got some personal stuff going on in the background that I'm feeling really sad about. And, And so I've got this sort of undercurrent of sadness right now, just like a little invisible river underneath everything that I'm doing. And... And sometimes when you're feeling sad, it's hard to give space to that and voice to that because I'm scared I'll just start crying and then I won't stop. Or, you know, maybe you've never experienced stuff like that. But, um, and I had an opportunity in the car and I asked the Holy Spirit to help me not cry because I didn't bring any eye makeup with me to fix things if I became a complete mess. (laughs) But I had an opportunity in the car on my journey to have a really honest conversation So when was the last time you had an honest conversation? When you were doubting, when you maybe took the wrong path or made the wrong decision, when things weren't happening as quickly as you thought they would, when you saw no way forward for God's promise to you to be revealed? Abraham has an honest conversation. And God's response is beautiful. He says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, um, saying, This man shall not be your heir. So I think he was, I can't remember, was it? Hmm? His sermon? Okay. Is this before Ishmael or not? I should know. Anyway. Um, but, but God is saying to him, um, Your very own son shall be your heir. He brought him outside and he said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you were able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And what God's doing in that time, in the time of waiting, God is stretching Abram's capacity. He's giving him vision. He's showing him a bigger picture. He's He's strengthening his heart. Because I think that God's promises to Abram were larger than he imagined. And I think I think that's something I want to say to you and I think that might be something the Lord wants to say to you as individuals and as a community. You need to dream bigger. I'll say that. You need to dream bigger. You need to dream bigger. I think as a community, the Lord wants to take you outside and show you the stars in the sky. And I'm I'm not saying this in in sort of The North American, bigger, better, faster, stronger. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the grace of the Lord for you, what he's inviting you into as a community, is far more expansive than you can presently see. So anyway, just put that in your back pocket. And I don't know what that looks like. He'll talk to you about that. So Abram's got this moment of honesty with God. God redirects him back to the vision. And actually gives him a sign to look like. Can you imagine? So you had that moment with the Lord. The Lord showed him the stars in the sky. So every night, Abraham's is feeling de- de- depressed. Like, Sarah, you pregnant yet? No, darn, okay. <laughs> so I'm going to go outside, and I'm going to look at the stars. I'm going to go outside, and I'm going to look at the stars. And I think what can strengthen our hearts on the journey is... is um, He'll give us signs of his promise, and give us opportunities to be reminded of what he wants to do with us. Um, and so the other thing that happens in this part of the story, it's a really interesting part of the story, is they cut a covenant together. This is a really fascinating part of the culture. So, you know, when we think of covenant, what do we think of when you think of covenant? What's normal in our culture when you use the word covenant? Marriage, yeah. Agreement. Yeah. Legal. Yeah. Back in that culture, when they thought of covenant, they took an animal, they cut it in half. They put half of the animal here, they put half of the animal there, and then they walked between the two halves of the animal. They called it cutting a covenant. It's pretty gruesome, don't you think? I was just like, yeah, it's kind of nasty. Okay, well... (laughs) Whatever works for you guys. But that was how they they made an agreement with each other. This is legally binding. We're just going to cut your pet cow in half, and we'll just kind of walk in between it. So Abram's got this moment. (laughs) Abram falls asleep. There God speaks to him again. And eventually, you know, Abram wakes, and he sees this torch passing between, just this floaty torch. Weird things happen sometimes when God (laughs) is involved in our lives, passing between the two sides of the animal. God is making a covenant. God is making a promise to him. Um, yeah, let's take a minute in your groups. This would be a shorter one. But I want you, wh- where do you find yourself in the story? Where do you find yourself in terms of maybe waiting? Maybe struggling uh, with honesty and being honest with God? Maybe feeling like, oh, man, you know what, I was really trying to go in this direction, but things went sideways on me, or maybe I didn't make the best choice, and now I'm not quite sure if things are going to work out. There might be different places that you find yourself in that story. So let's just take five minutes in your small groups, and, and where do you see yourself in that story of Abraham? Abram. So, ready? One, two, three, go. So. All right. You haven't switched people yet. Switch people. It's, this is a great thing about Abraham, or the thing I find about so comforting. He's had all these divine encounters. He's had promises from the Lord. and Then the Lord reiterates the promise, and he sees the stars. And then, you know, we've got that whole cutting the covenant thing. And then still Abraham screws up. He still messes up. He's still, and here's what he does. He messes up because God's not doing it quick enough, right? Anybody ever frustrated because God's not doing it quick enough? Anybody? Anybody? So <laughs> here we go. God's not doing it quick enough. So I'm maybe God's forgotten, or maybe I just need to think this through. Maybe I need to help God out a little bit, right? I think I should help God out a little bit. So why don't I just have a son through Hagar instead? <laughs> so what, ha- what happens with Abram is he, he goes and he gets another woman pregnant and has a son through her. And we get Ishmael it's like, okay, you promised a son, and I'll just go sideways over here, my little plan B, and oh, look, I got a son, right? So has any of us, any time in our lives created a plan B because God wasn't quick enough? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> and then something came out of that plan B that you kind of looked at and went, probably not God's plan A. <laughs> you know, he's got this situation now, he's got Ishmael, and then there's problems between the women, and, you know, it just created all kinds of complication. And... um And this is the acquisition of wisdom, I think, comes through waiting. And I think we're so eager for revelation. God, just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Talk to me about yourself. I just want revelation. I want knowledge. I want understanding. But what we need also is wisdom. (laughs) How does this play itself out? What's the timing? I think many, many times I see people frustrated as they're on the journey with God, moving towards the promise because we're impatient, we don't understand timing. We haven't leaned into the Lord for wisdom on it, and so we lean into our plan B. Anyway, so that's the chan- that's his mistake. Wisdom is in timing, not just the revelation. We need God's wisdom to know the timing of things He's revealed, and discernment for what is He doing for us in the waiting. So you need discernment for what God's doing to you in the waiting. We're so bad at waiting. All right, I think if, if you guys walk away with anything that you get from Abram's story this morning, walk away saying, what's going to happen in the waiting? I've had the invitation. I've had the promise. What's going to happen along the way? How are you shaping me? How are you shaping our friendship with each other while I'm waiting for the fulfillment of the promise? So we see, um, so this is fast forward 13 years. So Abram is 99 at this point, and the Lord appears to Abram and says to him, I am God Almighty, walk before, walk before me and be blameless, that I might make my covenant between me and you and multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. And he goes on to talk about fruitfulness and the promise towards himself and the offspring. But I, I think that it's an interesting part in the story. And we see this a number of times through the God story, through the Old and the New Testament. These moments where identity is given, these moments of renaming. You call yourself Abram. I'm going to call you Abraham which means father of nations. So the promise I'm giving you, I'm actually going to manifest it by giving you a name that reminds you of who you are and reminds you of what I've said to you. And, and I've had a number of times in my life in my own personal journey with the Lord, and I, I didn't realize how often it actually happens in the biblical story Right, you got Gideon and you know hiding in the wine press, and the angel of the Lord comes to him and calls him mighty warrior. I'm like, he's not a mighty warrior, he's hiding. <laughs> he's hiding from the bad guys, you know, he's like total coward. <laughs> but God calls him mighty warrior. And Jesus saying to, to to Simon, I'm gonna call you Peter. You know, on this rock i up building a church. So there's these different points in the biblical story where God names us. And I just want you to take a minute of quietness. You don't do this in your groups, because for some of you, this might be quite um, private. Um, Let me tell you a little story of one of the ways that God has named me on my journey. And it was completely life-giving. I wrestled with, I've I've been in ministry now for 25 some odd years, um, but I've never been sort of just local. I've never been just a church or just a house of prayer my work has always been translocal as well i've always been called out beyond just my own immediate context and i really wrestled with that I, i i was unsure about it i i hadn't seen it modeled very much in particularly healthy ways back in canada and north america and i'm like ah i don't i don't understand it and i i just felt the responsibility being called to a larger group of communities rather than just a single community it just felt overwhelming and I didn't know how to do it and and I just I I just really struggled with it and uh and I had a meeting one day with one of my mentors and he was this grizzled old prophety dude and yeah I I meet with him every five years and then he says something that just kind of puts my heart at rest and then I wait for another five years and I meet with him again and he just speaks into my life but I was having dinner with him one day and I was telling him about the struggle that I was experiencing around this this tension between called to something local and called to something translocal, something larger. And he said, oh, Jill, that's easy. He says, you know what you are? You're a honeybee. He says, what you do is you kind of buzz around a community, you dip into the sweetness of it, and then you go over to the next one, and then you just cross-pollinate. You just take the sweetness from one thing to another. And it was one of those moments where his lips were moving, but God was speaking. And when he said the word honeybee, I, it, it's hard to describe what happened to me in that moment, but all of a sudden, everything inside of me that was fearful and wrestling and unsure and unclear just settled because the, the tone of the voice was the voice of my heavenly Father and that that little that little let's just call it a little term of affection. It was like, Oh, honeybee, <laughs> you know I, at the same time, it made me feel very small, and it made me feel very large it's hard to describe what happens when God sees you and God names you and I thought, Oh, I know I was looking at your little bee necklace <laughs> today <laughs> And I thought, oh, you know what? Forget translocal, local, this, blah, 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 blah. I can be a honeybee. I can do that. <laughs> and it just kind of set my heart at peace and into stepping into what has ended up being just a really fruitful and sweet part of my life and ministry. So I want you to take a minute and think about Have you ever had a moment where God has seen you and God has named you and spoken some truth to your own heart? That, that set identity in you in a way. Um, does that make sense? Does that sound really weird? I don't know if it's really weird. But it's happened in the scripture and it's happened to me. And so maybe it's happened to you. So I want you to just take a minute. Just close your eyes. Just think about it with the Lord for a minute. You might even want to ask him in the quiet. God, who do you say I am? And maybe he even wants to talk to you today. I don't know. Let's just take a minute. God, how do you see me? Who do you say I am? Let's just take a, a moment or two. Does anybody want to share any way that they felt over the in the past God has seen and named them, or even if there's something that that they were hearing in the quiet that brought life to their heart? Um, for some of us, those types of encounters with the Lord will be deeply personal. So you're under no compulsion whatsoever. <laughs> Might be something you just want to hold close to your heart. But I just. I just saw. if I wanted to create a space, if anybody had anything they wanted to share along those lines. It's okay if not. Um, I'd invite you to take that question to him I- in your time with him in the next few weeks as you're sort of digesting this part of the God story. God, how do you see me? God, who do you say I am? And uh, of course, this is a the next part of the story is really fun. God sees Abraham. God names Abraham. And then God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a special sign to remind you of our covenant with each other. And Abraham says, yay! And God's like, yeah, you need to get circumcised. <laughs> Abraham, in that moment was probably like, maybe not yay, you know? <laughs> so, you know, we see circumcision for babies on the seventh day normally is how it's done, but for an adult, it's like, okay, well, that's just uh, kind of unexpected, Lord. And here we go. But it's interesting that the sign of the covenant that God gives Abraham is directly tied to fruitfulness, right? You know, circumcision. You know, is, is part of Abram's sexuality and the expression of his sexuality. And uh, so it's like, yeah, okay. I'm just going to, I now carry the sign of God's promise with me. <laughs> and I, I wore the wrong shirt. I had a, I was going to show you one of the other ways that the Lord has named me through the years is around Canadian geese. He's talked to me about, um, spoken into my identity and thinking about geese and how, um, well, I'll tell you about it in a minute. So I actually had a tattoo You know, on my 46th birthday, because this is what 46-year-old women do, I went and got my very first tattoo. And uh, my daughter designed it. It was on my shoulder. And it's a wild goose uh, with a halo. And uh, and in Celtic Christianity, a wild goose is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And Canadian geese, you know, I'm from Canada and all this stuff. There's lots of... And geese mate for life, you know, so my husband liked that bit. And uh, (laughs) it was even before I was thinking about um, moving to the UK and just in the midst of that discernment, but I had my tattoo made, and I was just kind of looking at it one day, and I'm like, yeah, I've got a tattoo now. And the Lord said, "You know, they migrate, right?" <laughs> I <was> like, oh, <laughs> anyway, so Abram did not have a tattoo; he was circumcised instead, and a, and a sign of um, a sign of his covenant with the Lord. But also interesting as as we look further into the God story and look forward into the, what the prophets have to say. Um, moving not from circumcision of the body, but prophets start talking about having your heart circumcised. You know, can we, everything that, that hinders love, <laughs> can I just strip it away? And we're invited into the circumcision of the heart by the prophets later on in the story. So Abram's given a new name. He's got a sign of the covenant. And, uh, and then here's the, the part of the story that we're most familiar, familiar with. And I, if I had, uh, if I named this chapter, it would be, first he calls you then he kills you, right? Because how many of us have experienced that? God's called us into something. He's like, you got a dream, you got a vision, you got a passion, and I'm going to put it all to death, right? So first he calls you, then he kills you. We hate that. We're allergic to that in Western culture, right? We want to fast forward to resurrection without crucifixion, right? We do not understand what they call the Paschal mystery, where we actually, things have to go down into the grave. Before they're resurrected, and we see the foreshadowing of this in the life of Abram, because then Abram, or, uh, God says to Abraham, "Okay, you got your dream, you got your promise, you got a son, awesome. Now I want you to take him up the mountain, and I want you to kill him. I want you to sacrifice him on the altar." I can just imagine Abraham's response. I don't even know. Did he even talk to Sarah about it? I'm like. I probably would have done bodily damage, you know, when I think about your only child <laughs> and uh but this is a beautiful picture. this is what it foreshadows you know it takes us forward into to looking towards who Jesus is. so Abram goes, he goes with Isaac up the mountain of the lord, and uh, and Isaac's like, okay, we got the wood, we got the fire, but where's where where's the lamb, Dad? <laughs> I'm not seeing a sacrifice here. And everyone's response. Everyone's response is God will provide a lamb. And there's that moment, right, where he takes his dream, he takes the sign of the dream, and um, and you've got to remember this is in the context of of um, pagan cultures where infanticide was normal, where actually sacrificing your children to placate gods was a normal part of their culture, right? And so it's not an out-of-the-blue thing that he's being asked to do. And, And so for many of us, as we receive the promise, as we're on the journey, there is a critical moment on the journey where the invitation of the Lord is, will you let this thing die? Will you let it die? Will you put it in the ground? Will you... We just we will you trust me enough, you completely hand it over to me, and that often is part of the waiting process, right because things don 't happen in the way or in the time that we think they're supposed to happen, and can we, in those moments actually give it back to God and die to our um, need to to see the fulfillment of the promise, die to our own um our own right, we think our own right to have it go f- come forth in the way that we think it should. Right? We we'll let it die. And and I once heard a, a story of a guy who, I can't even remember the context of the story, but he had a dream, he had a vision, and the Lord told him to put it in the ground and just die to it. And he put it in the ground, and he waited, 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 and he waited. And, um, And eventually the Lord resurrected the dream. But in a conversation with another one of his friends, he was like, I don't know why I had to wait so long. I had to just like completely let it go, completely put it in the ground. And his friend said, well, I think that was because the Lord wanted to find out if you were actually dead to it or if you were just holding your breath. Sometimes we'll put things aside and put it in the ground and let our dreams die for a little while. But we're just holding our breath. And can we actually, can we, can we fully and completely trust the goodness of the Father who's invited us on the journey? That though you slay me, though you slay my dream, my vision, though you slay the promise that you've given me, then I will trust you. Because then what that does in, in your heart, how that forges you and shapes you as a follower and as a leader, that creates something in you that does not get created when you go. Okay, plan A to plan B. Off we go. Bam, done. See what I'm saying? It's in the process that Abram is actually made into a father of nations, and that process involves dying. And so we see the mercy of the Lord. A lamb is given. <laughs> um, yeah, God provides the lamb. So small groups. What's the dream? Has God asked you to put the dream on the altar as he did he at some point? And then what happened when you did it? Or has he he asked you to put it on the altar right now? And how are you feeling about it? So let's talk with each other and, and maybe pray for each other. If you would like prayer about that thing right now in your small group, then just ask for it. It's okay? All right. Step into your groups. So what dreams has God given you that you're waiting for? Has God asked you to die to them? And as he asked you in the past, and then what has happened? Or just where do you find yourself in that story? And then pray for each other. So. All right, switch to the next person if you haven't yet. All right, one more minute. Let's come back
0: together.
1: (laughs) I think these stories of um, the patriarchs are so interesting. You almost want to subtitle the whole of this section of Genesis, The Making of a Leader, (laughs) you know, flawed people eventually figure it out you know those types of things and when we start to look at the next generation you know the son Isaac marries Rebecca there's some question as to whether or not Rebecca is able to have children eventually she does and uh, there's some wrestling in the womb (laughs) these twins come forth and uh, and they are Jacob and Esau and Jacob is a bit of a troublemaker right from the get-go hey he just kind of grabs Esau in the womb, climbs out, you know, and 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 so and and throughout the whole of the story, I'm just going to fast forward through it, which I just think is quite interesting. You know, he's seen as a deceiver when it comes to the time of Isaac's death. Um, the The blessing of a parent was just a really important part of their culture, and so as somebody was was about to die, they would they would bring their kids, they'd lay hands on their kids, and they would impart a blessing. And those words really were felt in that culture, and I, I think in our culture, too. Words have power. Words have power to bless. And so, but Jacob uh, pulls a fast one, and he disguises himself as Esau, because Isaac at that time is, is quite blind. And, and he steals Esau's blessing. He steals that final blessing. He's a deceiver. And and, uh, and you're like, oh man, this guy is just totally messed up. He's just completely out it for himself, you know. He's just messing up his family. What kind of family legacy is that? And it's just really interesting to watch his journey because uh, there's two pieces I think are are worth mentioning. One is is he's on a journey and he 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 falls asleep, uses a rock for his head, and in, and and he has a, a visitation. He has an encounter with the Lord. He has a dream, and in this dream, he sees. A ladder and angels ascending and descending and he wakes up and he calls that place Bethel. Surely God has been in this place I've had. It's a place of encounter. And so many of us have had moments of encounter, right? You've had just, you just, something has happened and you've seen something of the spiritual realm. You've seen something of God uh, about who he is, and an and encounter can be transformational, but I think the, the place of a real transformation in, in Jacob's life, where he really became the kind of man that God wanted him to be, was was the second encounter, which was the place of wrestling, <laughs> and so Jacob is, again, on a journey towards being reconciled with his brother, who he had just, you know, basically stolen the inheritance from his brother, he used to go back and be with him. He's totally freaked out by it, and uh, and he has this encounter with the angel of the Lord. And over the, the course of a night, he wrestles this angel. And in the biblical story, he says to the, to the angel of the Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And, and uh, the angel puts his hip out of joint. And uh, so there's, there's those ramifications. But what I think it was it's, it's again at that, that point of wrestle, there is a naming Jacob then is called Israel, one who has wrestled with God. And so for us, as we're on our journey, as we've given a promise in the waiting, in the, the treacherous parts of the journey, have there been moments just of revelation, just coming out of nowhere where God's just revealed himself to you? And have there been moments of wrestling where God's revealed himself to you and you guys have g- grappled, you've wrestled it out, you've fought it out with each other, and you said, "Hey God, I'm just not going to let go of you till you bless me." I know that in this moment of encounter there is transformational possibility, and I'm not going to let you go until I get it. It's in that moment that he's renamed, and he's called Israel. Fast forward, then we've got his son Joseph, um, and again. This is the whole making of a leader, right? Joseph, he was a, an early bloomer. He has these visions. It's like, yeah, I got visions from the Lord. You know, I had this dream from the Lord, and, and uh, he's talking to all those brothers, and uh, I think there were, there were 12 of them. And he's, he's like, I had this dream from the Lord, and yeah, in the dream, like, I was the big guy, and you were all bowing to me. What do you think of that? I'm like, first of all, I think just, you know, dude, you really lacked wisdom to share that dream. But how many of us we get revelation, we hear something from the Lord, and we're a bit cocky. We're a bit arrogant. You're like, yeah, I'm the one with the revelation. I'm the one who heard from the Lord. And you think of Joseph's journey from that moment of you know, we can we can have these encounters with God. We can have these these beautiful moments, really great. But that does not equal spiritual maturity. That does not equal emotional maturity. God's just gracious. He, us, he encounters us because he's God, and he loves us. Sometimes we have to grow into the kind of person who can carry that revelation, kind of carry that encounter. And the way it happened with Joseph was through suffering. Everybody say suffering. We all love suffering, right? Anybody love suffering? woo Love suffering. <laughs> We're so allergic to suffering in our culture. We're so uh, – and, and, and I think it's because um, we don't have a theology of suffering. I think in the evangelical charismatic church, we, we, have not, we have not worked through a theology of suffering in such a way that, that we are able to, um, we just want it gone. We just want the pain better, right? That's our theology of suffering. God's just going to fix it, right? But we get shaped, we get molded in suffering. If you think back over the course of your life, just take a minute, just review your life in your mind's eye. When was your time of maximum spiritual growth? When were the times when you were really shaped, when you were really formed? For some of you, that will have been in times of suffering. It will have been in times of hardship. So this is the question, the problem of evil, right? Does God cause suffering and hardship? Right? These are questions, theological questions we have to grapple with. One thing I do know is that God uses suffering for his purposes. God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so we see in the life of Joseph, he has this, he's got this seer anointing. He can see, he gets these dreams, he's got all this revelation. And then he goes on a journey, right? (laughs) A familial betrayal, like his family turns against him. And misunderstanding, he gets, he goes into slavery. And and somebody tries to seduce him, he runs off. And then he gets accused, falsely accused of sexual misconduct and thrown in jail. And then he's got all these years in prison. And over that time, he is shaped and he is formed and he is crafted into the kind of man who, when God releases him from prison, steps into governmental office. And the kind of man who then has um, authority, influence, And the kind of man, then, who can become a doorway of salvation for his family, for his people in a time of trouble. So this family, this people that left him for dead, he now opens the doorway for them to live. It's beautiful. foreshadows many things into the the new covenant. And um, so my last question for you in your groups is... And maybe, maybe just pray for each other. I think I think we'll just finish off praying for each other. How is God shaping and forming you in your life circumstance? How is God making you more like Jesus? How is God shaping you into a leader? So, um, and just so you know, everybody in the room is a leader. Say to yourself, "I'm a leader." Now turn to the person beside you, say you're a leader. (laughs) So So you all have a circle of influence, right? You all have a circle of influence? Do you bring your influence into your circle of influence? (coughs) Then you're a leader, right? Any mothers in the room? Any fathers in the room? Yeah, you're a leader. You're a leader. Um, So how is God shaping you into a leader? How is God giving you revelation? How is God shaping your character so that you can carry that revelation in a way that's life-giving that creates a doorway of life to others? How is God shaping and forming you in the waiting as you hang on to the promises he's given you as as he makes you the type of leader who is big enough inside to hang on to the promise and to live a life of fruitfulness? How is God shaping you into a leader? And I want you to lay hands on each other and bless each other on that journey. Is that all right? Can we do that in these last few minutes? Okay, one, two, three, go. So. If you haven't started praying for each other, now would be a good time. All right, just wind it up. So, Father, I thank you that you are a God who interrupts us. Lord, you are a God who pulls us out of our own tiny little autobiography, and who invites us into your sweeping epic saga. We thank you that you are a God who promises to make us a people who are blessed and people who are a blessing. We thank you, God, that you uh, not only call us, but you kill us. (laughs) Oh, Lord, help us just to submit to your process as you shape and fashion and form us into the kinds of leaders who will indeed be a blessing, who won't build our own little empires, but who actually build your kingdom. May we become more like Jesus. May we not shy away from the cross and try and fast forward to resurrection. God, we give you our dreams. We give you our impatience. (laughs) We give you our failings. We give you our disappointments. And I ask, Father, that in return, would you give us more of yourself for the glory of your Son and for our greatest good. Amen and amen. Thanks, everybody, for sticking with me through that. Hey,
2: can we have a... Round of applause for this lovely lady. Wasn't that great? (laughs) uh, I mean, I haven't heard... uh, We've done the God story more than a handful of times, but I've... I've uh, never (laughs) never done the God story. (laughs) But that was... No, you gave a fantastic whole new slant to that whole Abraham journey, which was just had some... uh, Well, obviously it was from God, but it had just really weighty. And, I mean, at times it was like getting a punch in the face, but... It was, uh, it, was, no, no, it was the most <laughs> delightful delivery of a punch in the face that uh, we, could ever, we could ever ask for. So I'm sure, like me, you probably all feel uh, super challenged in that. Um, but um, th- I, I don't know if you get it in Canada, but there's a phrase called killing the golden goose. Do you, have you heard of that one? No. No, okay, well... The, the golden goose is the one that lays the golden eggs. but then So don't kill the golden goose, obviously, would be the phrase. But okay. seeing as you're all goosed up and we have to okay. lay things down, it would be great if we could um, not come and call the goose for her, but if we could come and just gather around her and let's pray over her and bless her uh, and return uh, something of what she's just put into us. So, yeah, please come forward. Let's the load a space around the back here. Uh, let's just come and uh, bless her. So please come closer and uh, maybe ladies if you get in the middle and actually get more so you're in proximity that would be great yes. debbie you come forward wendy and uh let's just uh, pray for her and if you yeah if a few people could pray um out loud as well and if you have words for her, let's share those i can pass the microphone around but let's bless her in the name of jesus